Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, and I am joining you back this week, sadly, without Sana, because she's out being amazing and epic and doing her thing, being Sana. But this week, we're really excited because we're bringing you a fellow podcaster from the amazing giant podcast space. We are welcoming Lauren Shippen. Lauren Shippen is the creator, writer, and director of The Bright Sessions, which is a science fiction audio drama that follows a group of therapy patients who happen to have supernatural powers. The series also represents women and the LGBTQ community. Plus, Lauren is leading the charge for women in production and podcasting. We talked a little bit about how being an actress in Hollywood led to her creating this podcast. And she just happens to love Captain America and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier. So with no further ado, here's Lauren. Hey guys, this episode is sponsored by Sideshow. Sideshow is giving fans a chance to assemble the ultimate Marvel collection with the Avengers Assemble statue set. Inspired by some of Marvel's most iconic superheroes, these statues capture the classic, colorful looks of Earth's mightiest heroes. One lucky winner will take home Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Wasp, and Hulk statues, assembling on complementary bases for one action-packed display. Visit Sideshow.com slash assemble for your chance to win. Good luck, Avenger. Limit one entry per person, void where prohibited. All winners agree to pay shipping on any prizes granted by Sideshow Collectibles during any contest or giveaway. Entrants must be 18 years of age or older and must be a resident of any country that Sideshow ships to. Contest ends on June 30th, 2018 at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Visit Sideshow.com slash assemble for terms and conditions. Lauren, say hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I know we've been sort of working on this for a few months, yeah. and you're in New York City in I our know. new shiny space. <laughs> it's so pretty. I'm in Marvel heaven right now. It's great. Ooh. <laughs> so, but for those who sort of don't know the Bright Sessions and the mm-hmm. podcast you do, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, I make a science fiction audio drama called The Bright Sessions, and it is about people with supernatural abilities in therapy. So it, we have released 54 episodes. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. We released our 54. Uh, yesterday and it starts out you know with these people in in therapy and just sort of doing the therapy sessions and learning how to live with these extraordinary abilities and then there's a larger mystery and of course a you know shadowy government organization as there often is in these stories but it really is a sort of character melodrama because as a huge sci-fi fan I always thought that it might actually suck to be able to read somebody's mind or to time travel if you can't actually control it and what are the realities of living day to day with a superpower. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, obviously Marvel has dabbled in that idea, yeah. but never really full on into sort of the 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 power that's on your shoulders as a superhero because there's an expectation to do good. Mm-hmm. But then obviously, you know, they're supervillains. So how do you not go bad then? Well, right. And even on sort of a smaller scale, if you have an ability and you're not fully in control of it yet do you become a superhero or just sort of try to live your life? Um, So Bright Sessions definitely uses supernatural abilities as a metaphor sometimes for like mental health or for other obstacles that people face because yeah there's a lot of I think day-to-day difficulties that you would encounter if you had a supernatural ability and you weren't you know fully in control and part of the Avengers and figuring it out. So what I think is really interesting is that you know you were sort of inspired by a Marvel movie 
to sort of start this podcast. And you talked about sort of like the nerddom of it all. So yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of Marvel movies that have definitely inspired plot lines within it. And I think just, you know, seeing a bunch of really big blow up movies on screen, but had really, really wonderful characters where then I wanted to dig into characters like that a little bit more was certainly an inspiration. And then I think my favorite Marvel films are the Captain America films. And the questions about sort of government good and, you know, the greater good and the role of government in protecting people versus, you know, advocating for fear is, I think, something that I think a lot about and something that has definitely appeared in my own writing, sort of the argument that they have in Civil War and Winter Soldier. I've definitely kind of hashed out in my own small stakes way in my show because I think it is a really interesting question. And when you add in people who can do extraordinary things into that equation, it gets a lot more complicated. Yeah. I actually started at Marvel when Civil War the comic came out. Oh, cool. And I didn't read comics back then. I, I Obviously, I read like, uh, you know, Saturday morning like comics yeah. and stuff. And Civil War was that first comic that I really like was interested in. And so I was really fascinated to see where they would take it in the film. And mm. I think they did, you know, a good sort of modern take because I yeah. think that's the trick of like understanding modern political state ways and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, and I feel like everyone didn't know that they were going to love Bucky <laughs> yeah. as much as Sebastian Stan is such an endearing character. Yeah. He but just, he's so good as the Winter Soldier. He really is. Yeah. And it's it's such a tragic figure. And I think those questions of identity, too, of if you've done something really, really bad, but it was in certain circumstances, does that make you a bad person? Can you be redeemed from that? Like, I, yeah, that whole plot line. I think is so interesting and yeah you kind of want to give him a hug which is a weird thing to feel about like one of the most prolific assassins of all time right but you sort of feel bad for him yeah and also like Sebastian Stan I think did a really good job of bringing that character to life so yeah because I think I think he brings a lot of vulnerability to that character in a way that's that character I think could be very much like oh look I'm a badass with a metal arm versus like sort of the soft sad boy that Bucky Barnes is when Sebastian Stan plays him I think it yeah, it adds like a depth to it. That's really nice. So talking about the Bright Sessions, for those who are sort of listening to this podcast, scripted podcasts are a little different. Yeah. So like, how did you get involved in that world? Yeah, I mean, it really came from, the whole project came from an, a desire to make something that I could be in charge of all of the production on. Um, because I was acting out in Los Angeles and really wanted to give myself something to dig into and give some of my friends something to dig into that wasn't just, you know, sort of girl next door or love interest for whoever. And I was listening to Welcome to Night Vale at the time. And that's sort of the big grandfather of fiction podcasts in the modern era. Well, I guess podcasts are the modern era, but in terms of like (laughs) scripted audio stories, you know, have existed for a long time. And I think what appealed to me about the podcast form versus like a web series was the idea that I didn't have to worry about visuals at all. I could just do dialogue, which as an actor going into writing was a, a safer space for me just because as an actor, you traffic in dialogue. That's what you know. You know how a scene's supposed to sound. Um, and not having to worry about framing or shots or any of that kind of stuff was really nice. And also the budget. <laughs> you know, making an audio drama cost a lot less than <laughs> making a web series. And so I just wrote nine episodes that were these nine therapy sessions for three different characters and got three of my friends to, to do it with me. Um, I play one of the characters. And we had so much fun making that first little season that we just kept going. And yeah, here we are two and a half years later. It's grown into something 
far beyond what I ever could have anticipated. That's pretty amazing. You didn't take sort of the negativeness of what Hollywood could be. Mm-hmm. You turned it into something positive, and that's kind of great. Just Thanks. to be like, I'm going to go do this. Yeah, and I think I was lucky to have a lot of encouragement from acting studios that I was at and other mentors who said, with an iPhone and the internet being what it is, you kind of have no excuse. Like, you have a computer. You can make something. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind, but I also was very aware of, like, yeah, but it also needs to like look good and sound good <laughs> and sort of then just stripping it down to like, okay, well, what if it's just two people in a room having a conversation? That might be kind of interesting for people. And, and it turns out that, yeah, people want to hear other people talk about their feelings. And I feel like one of the great elements is that like of those four characters you started with, three of them are women. Exactly. Yeah. And the other one's a queer man. So no straight white dudes in the first Kick them out. original Kick them out. the right <laughs> sentence. Yeah. And that definitely was intentional. You know, I, I think as an actor, you get these casting breakdowns into your inbox every single day. And a lot of them are a real bummer <laughs> because it's sort of the beginning and end of the description is just physical descriptors of what this woman looks like and then you actually get a copy of the script and you're like oh great I have three lines and they're just too further along the male story and I think we are starting to see a shift in that you know and we're certainly seeing more women on screen and more women in sci-fi and genre stuff which is amazing but also to really dig into women that are not like the goody two-shoes and also not sort of like the badass strong woman and that are actually like complex and flawed and maybe try their best but have to face those questions of, you know, for the greater good or, you know, fear, things like that and identity issues um, and then have to maybe redeem themselves or not redeem themselves. And so getting to play with all of that was was really, yeah, a, an intention of mine from the start. I mean, that's great. I mean, obviously, that's sort of where this podcast originated was there have always been women that work in all these industries, right? Yeah. You know, but a lot of them aren't on camera or in person, like in your face. And not necessarily do we need to be in your face, but there needs to be knowledge that the people coming up, that there are people that work in these industries. So not only did you write a story featuring women and LGBT, but also you then produced it behind the scenes as a woman, which I think is also something that, you know, we talk to people behind the scenes like crew and directors and showrunners and how there needs to be more female run top of the line because they actually like shown that if the director or the producer is a woman they'll hire more woman crew absolutely yeah and then they're also there to oversee casting and scripts and make sure that there is equity there absolutely and and, and certainly when I started the podcast I was one of very very few women in the fiction podcast sort of field and one of the very even fewer queer women in the fiction podcast sphere and now it's really opened up because it has been such a great and welcoming place for people of sort of all types um, and all ranges of experiences. But yeah, it definitely felt a little bit lonely at first of, okay, I'm, I'm sort of doing this and there aren't a lot of ladies around. And that's definitely starting to change, which is nice. It's always good to look around and see a bunch of, see yeah. that you're surrounded by women, you know, it's a nice yeah. feeling. I mean, yeah, and it's, it's nice to be not the only woman in the room, yep. you know, to when you voice up and say something, Everyone doesn't look at you weird. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, what I'm saying is not unusual, right? Yeah. But to everyone in the room, it might seem like because they didn't think about it in that perspective. And and that's also another element, having that other perspective. And I would assume that you probably have not 
male and non-queer people listening in, yes. having that sort of perspective, being able to listen to that perspective for them is probably, mm-hmm. you know, enlightening if they didn't necessarily know someone who was queer. Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of nice messages to that effect. You know, we get the occasional email or iTunes review that calls us homosexual propaganda, which, you know, is a little feather to put in my cap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we do get a number of, of responses from people sort of saying that they didn't necessarily know any queer people or they hadn't thought about it and they are so invested in this this queer romance that appears in, in the first two seasons. And to hear that is always really, really nice because they always say like, oh, it's just, it's it feels like any other high school romance that I've watched on screen or that I've heard or that I've read and it's it's put things into perspective. And so I don't know that we've changed the hearts of any true homophobes, but it's nice to sort of expand what people are exposed to. Yeah, and also give those, you know, young queer people in their homes who are like experiencing who they might become opportunity to know that there are people out there like that. Yeah. And we get even more of of those types of messages, which always mean a lot to me, especially the ones that will say this helped me come out to my parents or come out to my family or even more heartbreakingly, this has kept me company while I'm waiting to leave home because I know that I'm not going to be accepted here. And, you know, that's that's a dark commentary on how some people think still, but at least, you know, if we can provide a little bit of company until they can be out on their own and, and find those communities for themselves, that's, you know, I, I'm comforted by that. Yeah. I moved to New York City 15 years ago and I joined a uh, LGBT swim team. Mm, amazing. And it's predominantly gay boys. Uh, <laughs> but it it really like opened my eyes and to who I was yeah. and also like made me much more comfortable in my own skin, like not even just like in my swimsuit. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But just like in general. And I think that that was something so important. I didn't realize I needed that. Yeah. And I think I think people who don't have that or people who aren't queer don't realize the importance of the the queer community for queer people. Like some of the comments we'll get sometimes from sort of more the more homophobic group of people is that we have multiple LGBT characters and they often will say, you know, one was fine, but why do we need so many? What are what type of liberal agenda are you trying to push? <laughs> and my response is always, this is pretty reflective of actually the makeup of sexualities of the people who make this podcast. And also, like, I don't know any queer person living in Los Angeles who is, you know, in their adulthood who doesn't have queer friends. Like, it's sort of the TV token gay character I don't know if that person really exists. Like, I actually have friends who joke about being like the token straight in the group, you know, because LGBT people tend to flock together and find each other and build these communities that if you find one, there's probably going to be a couple more. And just because you haven't seen that reflected on screen before doesn't mean that I'm trying to push any sort of agenda or show that there is, you know, it's always like, oh, this isn't reflective of the population. And it's like, yeah, that might be true, but it's reflective of how this community functions. And just because you don't have interactions with that community doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, pretty much everything on TV is not reflective of a population. Exactly. Let's well, be accurate now. That's often my response to is like, well, you know, based on TV, they're 70% of the world is white men. <laughs> that's definitely not true. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, obviously you started with these four characters. How did you, when you started to add new characters, like how did you decide? Was it just something that fluidly happened? Did a friend come in and go, oh, I think this would, you know, a great person to voice or? Yeah, there were a couple of different... We brought in three antagonists, you know, because in the first season, you're not sure if the if the therapist is actually the sort of the villain of the piece. And sometimes she is. She's not the best therapist all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the second season early on, we brought in kind of like a, 
a Kilgrave type, somebody who can manipulate your emotions Ooh. a little bit, um, but is not that good at it. And he's a fairly lazy person. He's kind of just just has lived his life skating by and hasn't actually really thought much about his own ability and what he could do with it, which is probably a good thing. Um, and then there is the government organization and there's a couple of characters from that. And then adding in a couple of other um, patients as well. And so there's more therapy that continues. And then some other characters that in the first season are mentioned, but I wasn't sure necessarily that we would bring them into the podcast itself. And then eventually it did make sense to do that. But at the end of the day, we have about a cast of 12 and with the core cast being about six or seven people. So it didn't, it never got hugely expansive. Yeah. Yeah. Not like out of control a little bit. Exactly. Cause I think with, with the audio medium, you want to keep things fairly close in terms of um, at least your core cast. You know, I think it's a medium that people are still getting into and, and learning how to consume, if that makes sense. And so, you know, making sure that there's not too many voices and not too many voices that sound similar so you don't create confusion is, is helpful. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, podcasts are really interesting. I mean, they're very similar to like watching TV shows. Some people binge. Yeah. Some people, you know, wait weekly to have an episode come out. And I think it is true. People are still trying to figure out how to consume them. Like, yeah. Especially with scripted and, you know, we've uh, obviously dabbled in that with yeah. a long night, which, you know, was a great success. And we got some pretty phenomenal actors to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that scripted podcasts are really interesting. And I think that people will figure out how to what, how it makes sense for them, just like binging Netflix shows or whatever. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's it's similar to streaming in the sense that, you know, more and more people are getting on to sort of the podcast train in terms of just listening to podcasts, especially with the growth of true crime and political podcasts. But oftentimes when I'm explaining what I do to people, <laughs> you know, I'll sort of say like, oh, I make podcasts and they'll um, oftentimes the way in for them will be like NPR or something like that. And so they'll ask about that and they'll say, oh, actually, no, it's, it's scripted. It's like an old school radio drama. And some people sort of know what I'm talking about right away. And other people, it is just the concept of a scripted fiction podcast is still like very hard to understand. And so I think a lot of times the barrier to entry is just people knowing that they exist and understanding what they are. And then they find them and it's like, oh, this is just TV I can listen to in the car yeah. or, you know, while I'm working out or, you know, when I'm, I'm doing things that I don't have to be looking at a screen for. Yeah. I'm fascinated with this because I had to teach myself how to do audio. So when mm. you first decided how to do this, were you like, you knew what you were doing? Did you have a friend? Did you just like hook up your iPhone? I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, I, I have a degree in music, so there were certain elements of sound production that I kind of knew vaguely about, but I was mostly sort of an academic music major. I was mostly writing papers and things like that, so I wasn't doing much, much recording. But I borrowed a friend's Blue Yeti mic, and I downloaded Adobe Audition, and I watched a lot of YouTube tutorials, and I did it all on my own and it just sort of figured it out and then halfway through our second season I got an email from Misha Stanton who's our sound designer and they said oh I make a podcast called Ars Paradoxica it's another fantastic sci-fi fiction podcast and they had heard that I needed a sound producer and they offered and so they've been working on the show since episode 17 so that took off a lot of the sound design stuff because that was really its own yeah battle it's one thing to sort of figure out how to record and how to edit sound. And it's another thing to figure out how to put effects on something, how to, I mean, you know, I think I spent 45 minutes just trying to figure out how to make someone sound like they were talking through a phone, <laughs> you know, the first time I did it. <laughs> just like, what filter am I going to use? And Adobe Audition has some automatic ones, but they don't always sound right. And 
And oh man, there was one time very early on where there was a lawnmower going on in the background of a recording of a take <laughs> I really wanted to use. And so I went out and like took it out sort of beat by beat. <laughs> so you now that now that you've sort of dabbled in the production and, the, and, and as a director, is that something you now you've experienced, but it's like behind the camera. Do you want to keep on doing that? Definitely. I don't know that I have any um, designs on becoming like a sound engineer or doing like the more like technical stuff. Um, I definitely have a lot of opinions about sound and I think I've formed more of a um, sort of vocabulary for how to talk about sound and what I want from a soundscape. This season that we're in right now for our 50th episode, we did a musical episode and creating the soundscape with my sound designer and with my composer and sort of my you know, narrative perspective, putting that together was really, really fun. And so I, I definitely am interested in sound in that regard. But directing, I, it's funny, I really didn't like it for a long time because it's hard to direct something that you're also the recording engineer for, you're also acting in and you wrote, you know, that's kind of a terrible situation to put yourself in. Never direct scenes that you're in. I don't know how film actors do it. Like some film actors will direct movies that they're also in and I don't understand how that works at all. But over the past six to eight months, I've sort of been in the podcast a little less and I've had been able to focus a little bit more on, on some other scenes and other dynamics and have, I think, found my stride a little bit as a director. And so that's something that I'm actually really interested in doing more of in the future. It's great to sort of see that you started as an actor, you did this thing, and you found something else that could be a passion, could be a career for you. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And definitely, you know, I still love performing. I love acting, but it's not my... It's not the thing that I'm sort of actively pursuing when things come up. I've been doing a lot of voice acting for various things because the podcast community is really small and really lovely. But yeah, I mean, I just like telling stories and, and molding stories. And you can do that as an actor, as a writer, a director. And so kind of getting a little taste of all three in this one project has been really illuminating. And I think also I've started to get a lot of opinions about just directing in general because I think a lot of directors from my perspective, sometimes focus too much on the visual and not enough on the actors, which to me is, you know, 70% of what you're watching or listening to, right? And so I think coming to directing from being an actor gives me sort of insight into the process that maybe somebody who just has directed doesn't have. Thinking more about the story yeah. than necessarily about the beauty of it all. Right. Having the story is something that's really important because that's the thing that's going to keep people listening in. Yeah, and I think performance is something that you know, I think there are some some directors who will use actors almost as set pieces or props to sort of fill out their visual aesthetic and to read the words of whatever scripts they're working with. And I think that that, you know, you can create something beautiful, but you're you're not necessarily telling a story that's going to connect emotionally. One of the reasons I think I love the Marvel films and one of the things I think that makes them very successful is the fact that all the actors are really good <laughs> and they are all fully invested in what they're doing. And it's yeah, I think Infinity War just like really solidified that particular component of the MCU for me where I was like, oh my God, all these actors are just hitting it out of the park. And that's why this is all working, you know, is because at the end of the day, they're human stories and you want the humans telling those stories to be fully invested. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to Melissa Rosenberg. She's the showrunner for Jessica Jones. Yeah. And like about more women behind the screen and I think yeah. and, and I think we're getting there you totally. know it's it's not like you can't turn a corner and then suddenly like everything's different you know yeah it and, doesn't happen overnight no and we've been fighting for you know equality for I mean we've we haven't even had the vote more than 100 years yeah so yeah, it's 100 years what next year right yeah oh <laughs> also you know next year is also the 15th anniversary of Stonewall 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. I'm actually, I was talking about this last night with a couple of my coworkers. I was like, I'm really excited. Yeah, well, and there is uh, digital pride is a thing that happens um, as well. And yeah, I think it's, it's really nice. The internet has brought us some not nice things. But, <laughs> but on the whole, I think the way that it's connected us and connected people who are similar but will never meet in real life is, is really, it's a lovely thing. Yeah, I've, I've met some great friends through the internet and it's only like later that you meet them in real life and you're like, oh, you're exactly how I thought you were going to be, but different too. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been the great thing about podcasting is that because it's a medium that doesn't really have a sort of city, you know, it's like, publishing and comics are like in New York, right? And then like film and television are, is in LA. Um, and then there's sort of these other cities that have sort of hubs of communities or, or industries. Podcasting is just super widespread. And so I've made so many friends through podcasting and through the internet that then you meet in person, you're like, oh, we actually really do get along. And these are now have now become like lifelong friendships and creative collaborations. And it's, the internet is pretty cool. You got to carve out your own internet experience. Exactly. You got to open the right door. Yeah. So one of the things we sort of like to ask here for everyone who comes on the podcast is advice. Mm. What is your advice for someone who sort of wants to write podcasts or something, be it for a female or for LGBT? Like, I mean, I think my advice is just do it. Just do the thing. I think that's always my advice because I don't know that I have any boiled down expertise that applies across the board you know I think there are there are little things here and there and it depends on the specific project but I think I think the important thing is and sort of the caveat to the just do it is with something like podcasts where it's a rapidly growing field that's getting a lot of attention and has a lot of potential and is sort of in this stage where it's the wild wild west but it's also could potentially be like the next new frontier I think there are people who come into it who just want to make a thing for cheap that will be hugely popular. And I think if that's a reason for doing it, maybe don't bother because you don't need to waste your time doing that. The audiences need to waste their time listening to that. But if there's a story that you feel really, really passionate about, tell that one. Even if it's a thing where you're like, this is a story that I love and that's in my heart and that I want to tell and nobody else is going to get it, do it anyway because chances are somebody else is going to get it and it might be hundreds of thousands of other people, you know? So I think telling a story that you really, really care about and telling it in the way that you want is both the benefit of podcasts and also a necessity for them at this stage because I think that stuff tends to rise to the top. That's great. Yeah, just do it, but do it with a heart. Yeah, I, I, I was at a podcast thing last night and I got a really, really nice comment from another podcaster who, who I'm a big fan of his work as well. And, you know, we're, we've been friends for a little while, but he was talking to me about Bright Sessions and it's a pretty dramatic show and it's, you know, deals a lot with trauma and all this kind of stuff and it's, can get heavy sometimes. But he said to me, he said, there's joy throughout it because I can tell that you love making it. And I think that that's one of the reasons that the show does work is that I really love writing it and my actors really love performing in it and my sound designer loves designing it. And so even when my writing is a little bit weak or, you know, we rush an episode out or whatever, we still love doing it so much. And I, that's what makes it work, I think. And I think that, that is true of any good art or entertainment is that if there's love and joy behind it, even if it's dealing with something really serious or something really dark, it's going to communicate well to the audience, I think. 
Great. Well, for those listening at home, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at Lauren Shippen on Twitter and Instagram. All the social media is laurenshippen.com. And then thebrightsessions.com or at Bright Podcast on Twitter. And then, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe, The Bright Sessions. We're there. <laughs> and so season four is is wrapping up. But you get some exciting stuff happening starting in July? Yeah. So starting in July, we're releasing one episode a month that are these bonus episodes that are going to expand the world a little bit. So if you listen to the show and you really like the therapy sessions that dig into how these abilities work and how they affect people's lives. We're going to be doing that with nine new characters. Um, and then next spring, we're coming out with our first spinoff, which I'm really excited about. I can't tell you what it's about because it spoils the end of season four. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun. If you haven't had the chance to listen to The Bright Sessions yet, it's not too late. The last episode is released on June 13th, so go binge, binge, binge. Even when it's over, make sure you follow Lauren on the social media channels because she's got tons coming, including books and a TV show and more podcasts and amazing stuff. So if you're not following her, go do so right now. In my other spectrum of life, I'm going to be at Akon this weekend in Fort Worth, filming Marvel Becoming. So if you see me and my pink and purple hair, come say hi. I'd love to see you. Maybe take a selfie and all that jazz. And we've got San Diego Comic-Con news upcoming, so stay tuned. So that's it. As always, if you have questions or suggestions, please email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at marvel with hashtag womanofmarvel. Tune into the next episode where we have Kelly Thompson, who we just recently announced is writing the new West Coast Avengers featuring Hawkeye. It's going to be fun and amazing, and we embarrass Sana a little bit. It's great. We'll see you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>